You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. I've never had anything like that. I've never met anybody that had anything like that. That was for the Apostle Paul. But why? Because he wasn't ordinary. And as sure as I'm standing here right now, speaking this message, if you determine not to be ordinary in your Christian life, God will do something extraordinary in and through it. He will. Because that's what he delights in doing. Don't be ordinary. The story of Paul the Apostle is both fascinating and inspirational. He persecuted and killed Christians before he became a believer himself. His life was changed after a radical encounter with Jesus. He performed powerful miracles in the name of Jesus Christ. And today, Pastor Danny explains that Paul did extraordinary things in his walk with Christ because he wasn't ordinary. If you want to live out your faith, and if you want to reflect Jesus to others, then don't be ordinary. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Acts chapter 19 with today's edition of The Living Word. chapter 19. Saul of Tarsus was an extremely religious man, zealous for God, but his zeal was not based on knowledge. He sought to establish his own righteousness based on the Old Testament law. He was blind about the truth regarding Jesus Christ. He was a Pharisee, which meant that, well, he fasted twice a week. He gave a tenth of everything down to the salt and pepper, meticulous tither. He believed that He was serving God by persecuting followers of Jesus Christ. But boy, did all that change. One day, as he's on his way to Damascus with a letter from the chief priest giving him authority that if he finds any followers of Christ in Damascus, he can arrest them, take them as prisoners back to Jerusalem. Before he got to the city, the resurrected Christ appeared to him. He was gloriously, radically saved. And his life would be changed at that moment and continue to be changed for years. He became an apostle and a great one at that. Changed his name from Saul, the name of the first king of Israel, very notable name. He changed his to Paul, means little. I know of no other Bible character who exemplified a greater commitment to Christ than the apostle Paul. And so in these verses... Today, characteristics of Paul that we want to try to emulate. Why? Why emulate Paul? Because of what he said. And it wasn't a prideful statement, but here's what he said Follow me as I follow Christ. If it weren't not a true statement, it would be arrogant, prideful. Follow me. 
He had a desire to be like Christ. He became like Christ and he wanted others to become like Christ. Follow me as I follow Christ. Chapter 19, verse eight. In Ephesus, Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. The way, before they were called Christians, they were called people of the way because Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. And that's the first characteristic about his life. He consistently taught and preached the word of God. Now, you may be thinking, you can move on from this point because God hasn't called me to publicly teach and preach the word. And for the majority of people in this room, that's a true statement. James chapter three, verse one says, be not many teachers because those of us who are called to teach will be judged more strictly. That verse gets me sober-minded when I read it and think about it. But while most of us are not called to publicly preach and teach the word of God, most if not all of us are called to teach the word in some capacity. You say, prove it. Deuteronomy chapter six, these commandments God says I give you today are to be upon your hearts, impress them on your children. You know who God's gonna hold most accountable? Number one accountable for children being taught the word of God. It's not the Sunday school teacher. It's not the youth pastor. It's not me. It's the parent. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you're traveling, when you lie down, when you get up. In other words, it should be the very fabric very natural fabric of your family life. Deuteronomy 11, fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Teach them to your children. Talking about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road. You know who the first one responsible in the family to do this is? And I know there's a lot of single parents here and a lot of single moms here. I understand that. But dad, listen up. Fathers, do not exasperate your children and said, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord, which has to include the word of God, has to include the word of God. Now, I, I meet new faces here all the time, uh, new people here all the time. And, and, you know, some of you don't know this testimony, but a, a lot of you do. And the ones that do, I'm just going to say it again. I was a failure in this when my children were very young. Oh, I was extremely faithful at coming here week after week being a workman, preparing and coming and expounding and teaching and preaching the word of God. But at home, it was my wife. And I'm ashamed to say that, but I've been forgiven. It's under the blood. It's behind me. My wife never nagged me. I'm so thankful for that. She never preached at me. She never wrote me anonymous letters and tried to disguise her handwriting. <laughs> she never went to another pastor and said, would you talk to him about this? She just prayed. And guess what? It worked. I got so convicted. I got so convicted. that finally, finally, I went to her and I said, can I get in on the game? I knew what she'd say. It's been what she's waiting for. It's what she'd been praying for. And so we sat down and we came up with a schedule. And certain days she would lead them. And, and many weekdays, it was still her leading them. Occasionally I would. But Saturday became my big day. And the norm was 
Didn't always happen this way. And the older the kids get, the more the schedule changes, the more challenging it is. But I get up, have my time with the Lord. Wendy usually would get up, have her time with the Lord. I would cook breakfast. We'd get all the kids up. We'd come eat breakfast together. And then we'd sit and we'd have time in the word. And it wasn't complicated. And thank God for them. It wasn't a 45-minute message from Pastor Danny. No, I'm dad at home. Sometimes it was as simple as choosing a psalm, counting the verses, dividing it by six, the number of our family, and saying, okay, Tanner, you start off, read the first X amount of verses, and then next, and you read the next, and you read it. And then we just read it and sometimes comment on it, sometimes talk about it, sometimes just read it, and that's it. Have a time of prayer. That wasn't always all of us praying. Sometimes it was, I would say, is there somebody on your mind, and maybe God's put them on your mind, that you can pray for them? I remember so often Jairus, who's my little evangelist. He's my third son. He's an evangelist. So often he would say, Dad, and he'd name names of people he went to school with. He's had been praying for them, and sometimes he'd pray that Saturday morning, God, would you open a door? And then sometimes weeks later he'd come back. I remember one time he said, we're at Bush Gardens, and guess who I ran into in line on the ride? I've been praying for him, and God opened the door, and I was able to share the gospel with him. Oh, that's the kind of stuff. Man, you just don't get stuff better than that. I got in on the game. You know the hardest part? The first step. The first step was going to my wife and saying, can I get in on the game? And the second step, just about as hard, was I'm a pastor now. Look, you, I'm not my pastor. And I'm like, what do you do? How do you do this thing? And then I found out it didn't have to be complicated. You don't have to complicate it. Just be faithful in it. Dad, mom, if you'll do this, it'll revolutionize your family. Let me just say one more thing. If you do it and be faithful at it, it doesn't mean your kids are going to guarantee to be turned out okay. <laughs> but if you don't do it, you have a much, much higher percentage chance that they won't turn out okay. We could stay there the whole time. Don't feel led that way. Chapter 19, verse 11. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that he wore tent making that it touched him, were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. This is an easy one to identify. What is it? It is an extraordinary anointing. Now, I'm not gonna spend time here, but let me just say, it was God's will to do this for the Apostle Paul and through the Apostle Paul. I haven't met anybody that had kind of that extraordinary, miraculous kind of thing happening. Now, I'm not saying it's not happening with somebody around the world. I hear tremendous things that are happening in Muslim countries where God's doing amazing miracles to bring people to Christ. But I've never had anything like that. I've never met anybody that had anything like that. That was for the Apostle Paul. But why? Because he wasn't ordinary. He wasn't ordinary. And as sure as I'm standing here right now, speaking this message, if you determine not to be ordinary in your Christian life, God will do something extraordinary in and through it. He will. Because that's what he delights in doing. Don't be ordinary. Verse 13. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say... In the name of the Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Right on the surface, not a good idea. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them. Notice the answer. Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, 
but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. You know what this one is? Paul had a reputation in hell. And that's what you want. You want them to know your name. I wondered in, in, in preparing for this message if my name ever comes up in hell. I sure hope it does. These seven sons of the Jewish chief priest, they obviously didn't know the Lord. Jesus I know and Paul I know about. We know his reputation. But who are you? And if they had known the Lord, they couldn't have gotten beat up by the enemy because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. I wonder if they know your name in hell. If they don't, may that begin to change beginning today. I pray we all get a reputation in hell. Jesus, I know. Danny Hodges, I know about. I hope that's said somewhere in hell. And then verse 17. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear. And the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. Do the simple math. A drachma was an average day's wage times 50,000. That's a lot of sorcery scrolls. That's a lot of repentance. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. After all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I've been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer. About that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. He called them together, along with the workers in related trades. And he said, you know, my friends, that we receive a good income from this business. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. There's danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. And the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. I call your attention to one statement, verse 26. You see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in the whole province of Asia. Here's the next characteristic about his life. Very fruitful. And with this one, I understand, and I hope you understand, that God hasn't called all of us to have the kind of large ministry fruit in terms of numbers that the Apostle Paul had. But with that said, check out this New Testament verse. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works. The next statement floors me every time I read it and think about it, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God knew in advance that for 32 years, senior pastor position at Calvary Chapel St. Pete would have Danny Hodges' fingerprint and nobody else's. It's what he called me to. And your fingerprint, nobody else's is like it. What does he have for you? He has something, and it's for you personally. Every believer, he has a plan. And he's laid out the plan before the beginning of time. That's what blows my mind. He chose us, and he prepared in advance. 
Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you may go and bear fruit. Now, what I love about this is I'm only responsible for the faithfulness of what God's called me to. I'll never stand before the judgment seat of Christ and be held accountable for what he's called you to. And you'll never stand before the judgment seat of Christ and be held accountable for what he's called me to. The parable of the talents. One got one, one got two, one got five. And they're only held accountable for what they were given. In the parable of the seed and the sower, Jesus said other seed fell on good soil, came up, grew, produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, and some 100 times according to the will of God. That's the idea. Well, Demetrius causes a riot. There's a great uproar in Ephesus. For two hours, they're chanting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Some people came to the the riot that happened in the city, and they said they didn't even know why they were there, just because the crowd was there. Paul's very thankful. There's no record in the rest of the chapter that he got beat up here. The riot just kind of dies out. And then you pick it up in chapter 20, verse 1. When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out from Macedonia. He traveled throughout that area, speaking Many words of encouragement to the people. And he finally arrived in Greece, where he stayed three months. Next characteristic, easy, from those couple of verses. He was an encourager. Some of you didn't know Pastor Vivian Laird. He went home to be with the Lord not too long ago. He was on our staff for years, Irish gentleman, wonderful guy, man of God, prayer warrior. And one of the things I miss most about him being with the Lord now is he was a constant encourager. You could not be around Pastor Viv Laird and not be encouraged. How many know that statement is true? Remember him. Look how many hands. He was such an encourager. Now, some people have the gift of encouragement. I don't have that one. I have more prophetic gifting. That's why you don't want to come to me for counsel. You say, you, I, well, then stop doing it. Stop doing that and do, get right. <laughs> you want me to stroke you and you want warm fuzzies? Don't come to my office. That's just not my gifting. Now, with that said, that's not an excuse because this is for me as well as any Christian, 2 Corinthians 13, 11, encourage one another. Hebrews takes it a step further. Encourage one another daily. I had several people, I'm sitting out here when people are coming in both services and I'm just, I'm just out there to be available. I'm sitting down because my feet hurt and, uh, and, I, and I sit behind the little ministry info when I go out there and I love meeting new people. I met this elderly couple last service, before the service, and they came in. They said, we've been here about a year. We retired and moved here. And they so encouraged me by what they said. Right after that, another mother came by and she needed encouragement. And she started breaking into tears telling me about challenge with her children. And hopefully I encouraged her. I needed to be encouraged, but I had an opportunity also to turn around and encourage. You know one of the greatest ways to encourage somebody? Share the truths in this book. I've done more funerals now than I can count. And whenever I'm confident that the funeral and the person I'm doing the service for is with the Lord, they were a believer, they were Christian. Quite often, one of the scriptures I will share is 1 Thessalonians chapter four. Talks about not being ignorant of those who have fallen asleep. That's the way it describes the believer having died. Now, they're with the Lord. Their body's asleep. They're with the Lord. That's clear from Scripture. But you go on and read there and say, we don't want you to be ignorant because when the trumpet sounds and Christ comes, we will not precede those who have fallen asleep. The dead in Christ will rise first and we will be gathered with them to meet the Lord in the air and we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, therefore, 
encourage one another with these words. Chapter five, it goes on, talks about the death of Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. One of the greatest ways you can encourage somebody is share with them the wonderful truths in this book. And then verse four, finally arrived in Greece and he was accompanied by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea, Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy, who he picked up in the beginning of his second missionary journey, and Tychicus and Trophimus from the province of Asia. And here's the next one. He was a leader who influenced other leaders. These men's names, these are men who when Paul came through where they lived and he shared the word of God and he shared the gospel, they received Christ and even more than that, these men left whatever was behind, whatever occupation they had, whatever family, and they became full-time ministers alongside one of the greatest apostles, apostles, the apostle Paul. He was a leader who influenced others to become leaders. Now, if you're dozing off, anybody asleep? Wake them up, because the next one, they want to they hear this next one especially. Chapter 20, verse 7. <laughs> On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. Seated in the window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. When he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story. That's where all the, the heat's going. It makes it even harder to stay awake up there because of the lamps. He fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up, get this, dead. I've put a lot of people to sleep over the years. But as far as I know, I've never killed anybody. The dude's dead. And Paul killed him. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man and put his arms around him and I think he's praying, oh God. <laughs> Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. What a gracious God that the very man that died because of Paul just going on and on and on, God resurrected right on the spot. Then he went upstairs again, broke bread and he ate. After talking until daylight, he left. It's an all night message. Come on, give me some credit. I never kept you that long. People took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. You say, what are you going to get out of this one? He was lovingly long-winded. <laughs> he didn't talk all night just because he could. He didn't talk all night for his sake. His motive was for their sake. He wanted to encourage them. He wanted to get the word of God fresh in them. He wanted them to remain steadfast. He wanted them to be faithful. That was his motive. He had such limited time, and so he just kept on because he knew the next day he had to leave. You know what it says about Jesus? Mark 10, 1, crowds came to him, and as was his custom, he taught them because he loved them. Next characteristic, just one verse, verse 13. We went on ahead to the ship, sailed for Asos, where we were going to take Paul aboard. He had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. Why did he want to walk that section? Just to get exercise? I don't think so. It doesn't say it, but I believe... When I get to heaven, get a chance to ask him about this verse, 
Say, was I right in suggesting in that message I did on this passage that you wanted to walk that section because you wanted to get along with God? And I think he's going to say, you got it, Pastor Danny. We're so thankful to be able to share this time with you today on The Living Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Petersburg, Florida. We've been learning some historical things from the Book of Acts, a New Testament book that records the early church and how the disciples spread the gospel of Jesus to the world. What an incredible move of the Holy Spirit that we get to not only read about, but experience today. If you'd like to hear today's message again, or other messages like it from Pastor Danny, visit our website at ccfstpete.church. Look under the Media tab and click on Sermons. As we wrap up our time with you today, we'd like to take a moment and ask you to partner with us in prayer here at The Living Word. Prayer is an incredibly powerful tool that you can use against the enemy, who doesn't play fair. Being in conversation with the Lord is an exercise that's extremely rewarding as you find yourself more and more in a relationship with God. As far as a specific prayer request, please pray that we'd always have it on the forefront of our minds to be teaching the Word and reaching the world. As you pray about this, we pray too that your heart is encouraged and growing in the Word through these teachings. Thanks for praying, and thanks for being a part of this ministry. Join us again next time to dive deeper into the Book of Acts right here on The Living Word.